Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. You're here with myself, Mel, and B is here with us as well. Today, we are talking about exercise during pregnancy. Now, this is woo! Woo! <laughs> one of B's favorite topics. If you've seen her website or any of her work, then you'll know that this is a really big part of her work. And so we're so fortunate to have B's brain here to give us insight and important information about exercise during pregnancy. And I've been, I've had an epic 48 hours of three births. So I am so grateful that B's here with this information today because, mate, yeah, mentally not able to come and deliver all the goods to you. So B's the delivery woman today. I feel like your energy is better than mine today. I feel like you're still, you're on that oxytocin high. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we are going to dive into this because it's such an important topic. And I want to talk about why it's important for all the reasons we, some of you may not know, Um, because I think there is so much more to exercise in pregnancy than just the you know, the the known facts of exercise, which are, you know, the the mental um, and emotional health benefits and the physical health benefits. So yeah, I really want to dive into that today. Yeah. Well, I have, I do have a list of questions that I want to ask you, but my first question is, and this is always the question I have from clients, is if they, if a woman has never, ever exercised before in her life, kind of routinely, and is pregnant and realizes they want to start exercising because they know it's good for them. What is your advice? Where should they start? Mm. And you know, of they there is research that looks at people's motivation levels, right? And when they're more motivated to make healthy decisions like eating better or eating health more in a more healthy way and exercising, this because this is when you know, you have an extra motivator, which is your child. And so putting a human inside a uterus does something to our motivation levels. It soars them and it makes them the highest they ever are. So people do often come to either just trying to exercise preconceptionally or they may be pregnant and then they think, I need to start moving. And what typically happens, what I often see is this happens for people in second trimester. So what I want to say here is if you are pregnant and you haven't moved your body yet, that is okay. Every pregnancy is different and every from person to person and every pregnancy that a person experiences will be different. You know what too? I think even women who have been in the habit of exercising in their lives in the first trimester of pregnancy, Women feel the most tired, the most hungry, the most nauseous, and just their body is the most busy out of every other trimester. I was somebody prior to pregnancy that would exercise two hours a day. Like I look back and I'm like, how did I start for that? And it's like I I thought I was busy and I was still, I would do two two gym classes or do yoga in the morning and go for a run in the evening. Like two hours was standard for me. And I was living a really active life as well, because as midwives, we barely sit down. And so, well, it depends on the birth setting you're in, but in a busy (laughs) Melbourne hospital, I just saw Mel's face and I was like, hang on at home birth, I did a lot of sitting down. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mel crochets at birth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if, especially in a hospital setting or doing clinics and stuff like that. I was walking around a lot. At uh, first trimester, both pregnancies knocked me for six and I did nothing. Mm. And the second pregnancy, so I had really excruciating pelvic girdle pain my first pregnancy. And then after my first pregnancy was when I created Core and Floor. And so I used my pregnancy program in my second pregnancy to really manage my symptoms. And my pelvic girdle pain was nowhere near what it was the first time around. It was so much, I managed it so much um, more betterly. <laughs> I don't have the words today. I managed it in such a better way and it felt so different for my body. I also went into that pregnancy with a very different connection to my body and different foundational strengths. So even though I'd been, you know, exercise had been a huge part of my life, there pos- probably wasn't the balance and symmetry or foundational strength that I gained by doing core and floristore and then moving into my second pregnancy with that foundation because I really stripped it back after my first pregnancy my first birth in that first postpartum I stripped exercise right back and learned the basics again and basics I probably I you know I say I learned them again but I never really learned them in the first place because there's so much that the exercise world doesn't give us in terms of knowledge of our bodies so if you haven't started moving yet A, it's never too late. That myth around if you weren't exercising prior to your pregnancy, you can't exercise in pregnancy. I mean, I gave it away when I first started talking about it. It is a myth. You can start to move at any time, just like you can start to move at any time in your life. It's just how you go about it, who supports you and what you do. So, you know, the research shows that we should be doing, you know, and should is a word that's so related to guilt, so I don't want to say that, but if we can manage 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise on most, if not all days of the week, that is what is now recommended for people that are pregnant. And, you know, I think we've really created this lifestyle for us as humans that is more sedentary than we've ever been. And we're doing less and less movement and movement. And I really want to kind of ditch the word exercise because if you're struggling with exercise, what I want to offer you here is to ask yourself why, what stories you hold around it. And most of us have grown up in the dieting culture. And so a lot of our messages around exercise is to be firm and tone and thin. And then if we're not, we're not good enough. And so a lot of people's relationship to exercise carries with it a big story, a really big story. And it, it it can be one that is that doesn't serve us, that doesn't feel good. And so if you're really struggling with it and some of you are like, nah, babe, I just can't be bothered. But sometimes it can help to go a little bit deeper and go, well, what is my relationship to exercise and why? What is my current relationship? Is it serving me? And really looking at the imprints that we have, just meaning the stories that we learnt around exercise growing up because I certainly learnt that it was something that you did to lose weight and to be worthy, you know, because unless you were thin, you weren't good enough. And I know the messages are changing now and I love and I'm so excited for the younger generations around that, but we didn't grow up with that. And when you say moderate intensity, would that be like a half an hour walk? Would that be enough? Well, it's everyone's different, right? What your moderate is, is different to my moderate. And this is where, you know, 
And so if you, I just want to go back, if you're really struggling with the word exercise, feel free to use the word movement, right? And really, really understand that movement is your body's absolute best friend, regardless of where you are. So a lot of people still get told by healthcare professionals not to move. And I just want to say for this for this podcast today, we're talking about healthy pregnant people. Yes, if you have conditions, you have to talk to your care provider about what is appropriate for you. So total disclaimer there, as always. And if you are concerned or you have questions, please take them to your care provider. But if you are healthy and not experiencing any issues, moderate exercise for people is different. It's typically where you can still kind of have a conversation. What is it? It's where you can still have a conversation with somebody. So you're still able to talk and hold that conversation. And that will change throughout your pregnancy and it will change on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, so exercise, movement, whatever you need to call it, is your very best friend for preparing yourself mentally and physically, but also for managing conditions. And so people get told, oh, if you've got a prolapse, you can't move. Or if you've got incontinence, don't exercise or don't do this or don't do that. And especially around the pelvic floor, there is so many myths around it. The body needs movement. It needs movement to repair and restore. It needs movement to manage conditions. And I do want to say this in pregnancy. So often the ideal with pregnancy issues is to be able to manage them. Pregnancy often isn't a time to heal. It's a time to manage the issues, manage the symptoms, and then once the body is no longer pregnant, that's the time to really focus on healing. That I'm not saying there you can't do anything about it. Often what we want to do is prevent it from getting worse. So that's what manage it is. Right? And exercise is a great tool at managing conditions and stopping them from getting worse, uh, really healing them and you know being asymptomatic, so without symptoms can happen in pregnancy, but it's typically something we focus on postpartum. And I love that where, yeah, if we get rid of that idea of like 30 minutes of exercise and replace it with 30 minutes of movement, that changes things completely in terms of what women think they can do in pregnancy. Like I know my mum's a yoga teacher and during my first pregnancy, she offered to do daily yoga classes for me and specialise them and I could not think of a worse thing. I was doing yoga before I was pregnant. Every time I tried yoga when I was pregnant, it just felt wrong. I couldn't explain it. I was like, it doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And I just went with what I felt. And so instead, I really liked to just walk really casual, not strenuous, just kind of walking around the block. And I would do things like park the very furthest away from the place I was going And I would walk from my car all the way to the place where I needed to be in shopping centers at uni and all, you know, if we were going to wedding, whatever, park the furthest away that you can in the car park and walk, take the stairs instead of the escalators, all little things in my day that I could go, how could I build in some movement to my daily life? You know, I actually started catching the train sometimes into uni instead of driving because I knew I'd have to walk from the station to the the uni. So kind of building in things that you can't really get out of and just moving. And I've got, I still think about this client. She was a performer and she had gestational diabetes and she, instead of walking after every meal, she would put on four or five songs and dance for 20 minutes after eating. And she found that that was as effective when she checked her blood sugars as going for a half an hour walk, but so much more fun. 
She loved it. It released endorphins. She could do it in her living room. Her family got involved. It became a really blissful time. So she wasn't exercising, but she was moving and it had the same impact. So well, she was exercising. You know, yeah. it's, what's your definition of exercise? And this is like, I love that example. And this is really what Quorum Floor is all about. Like I have a saying, five minutes is better than no minutes. And I say that over and over again, because if you think, like everyone has five minutes. Everyone can do five minutes of movement. But if we've grown up in a house where mum and dad came home and they just worked and they made dinner and, you know, did the bath and then they sat down on the couch and watched TV and there wasn't a lot of movement in your life growing up and then you go to work and there's not a lot of movement in your work life, it can be really tricky to go to that. Right. And so I'm constantly like, what can you do in your day? Movement haven't, and we've also been conditioned now that exercise is this thing that you pay for, that you go somewhere to do. And it has to be a block of time. You know, if it's not 45 minutes and you're not huffing and puffing and sweating and you're not exhausted afterwards, then that's not exercise. Exercise can be that you do some squats while you brush your teeth. Exercise can be that you take the stairs instead of the elevator. But until you start to do it or you see somebody else do it, it doesn't become something that you think of straight away. And so what she is doing there is exercise. It's often about redefining what our definition of exercise is. Because, yeah, doing, putting on, you know, I do star jumps while my son gets dressed in the morning. That's how he, or he bosses me around. And, you know, this is a, a game we play. So he has a little bit of choice and autonomy before he goes to school. Uh, he gets bossed around all day. And it's, you know, like exercise can be a way that brings the family together. I mean, I'm not pregnant right now, so it's easier for my body to do that. When I was pregnant, our movements during the day looked different depending on what day it is. You know, so it's really, I really want to offer you here, what is your definition of exercise and what do you want it to look like? Mm. And yeah, diabetes you know, exercising or moving your body in the evening is epic. Maybe you don't feel like getting sweaty, but maybe you do feel like stretching. Our exercise world, really, we have been conditioned to believe, as I said before, that exercise is something that somebody else tells us how to do it, right? We've really created this whole industry that is around external authority, where you go somewhere and someone tells you how to move your body and how to move it faster or slower or get down lower or drop and give me 20. You know, the exercise world, you know, and and there is a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things out there. I just want to honor them. But generally speaking, I know I'm being generalized here, the exercise world has come about through trying to build firmness and tone, toned bodies. It's been a, centered around weight loss and it really has that firm, hard, you know, drop and give me 20 mentality, the push it harder. And what our pregnant and postpartum bodies often need is the opposite of that with movement. And what I see movement as in pregnancy is this incredible time to tune in. Now, the exercise world kind of makes exercise as a time to tune out. You go there and you don't really think and you get told what to do. And if that feels good for you and that is how you move your body and you love it and that brings you movement in your day-to-day and in pregnancy, epic. What I want to offer here, though, is a little alternative is that exercise can be an incredible way to tune in. And, you know, this is how I built the pregnancy program. And, you know, most people that work in birth know this, right? Like I, and I talked about this actually in my free antenatal classes, how mindset really does affect 
your birth experience. So what the research study showed, and it was only small, there was only 300 women in it, but it showed a decreased rate of cesarean section and a decreased decreased usage of epidural. And what it also showed was an increased ex- birth satisfaction experience, so increased positive birth experience and a decrease in postnatal depression. And so that was training the mindset. And so what I did with the the pregnancy program was really try and get people to try and understand birth as this peak performance of your body, right? It's it's your body working at its absolute physiological peak, which is what it's doing in exercise. And so I use exercise in my program to get you to combine that mind and body experience of thinking of the body in that way, that it's working in its peak performance and trying to get the mind and the body to work together to see it as a positive event. Because so often all that antenatal offerings that are out there, it's all around changing the mindset, which is really positive. But when you connect it with the body, that's really where I see the big boom. And I tell this story of when I was younger, I was like 19 or 20, and I was with one of my really good friends. We were at one of the theme parks here in Queensland. And there's this picture of us on a roller coaster, right? And I remember the whole ride. It was hilarious. So she's there absolutely shitting herself. And there's, you know, the camera captures us. And I am absolutely laughing my head off. So there's a picture of me having like the absolute time of my life and just being like, this is hilarious. This is so much fun. I'm loving it. And she is there ghostly white hanging onto the handlebars with no blood left in her hands, with extreme horror on her face. The difference between us was our mindset. I was going into that roller coaster ride going, this is going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm pumped. She was going into it. I'm so scared. It wasn't really a full body yes for her to go on the roller coaster. She was probably just doing it because I wanted to. And what what you can see there in the picture is a huge difference in mindset. My question is then, my question is how does like when you're exercising, Theoretically, you do have to tap into how your body is feeling and you only do exercise and movement that intuitively, I mean, this is how I exercised in pregnancy. I did exercise and movement that intuitively felt good and right for my body, which is why yoga did not feel right for some reason. But I felt really good doing things like swimming or walking. I would do things like at night if I was watching telly or something I would lean forward on a exercise ball instead of reclining back or lying on a couch. I would kneel forward on my knees, legs wide open over a ball. And then once that felt like, yep, that's done its work, I'd sit on a bolster and change where my hips were. And so it was actually more about this slow, gradual movement, restorative movement, rather than like this intense exercise that exhausted me after moving you know, for the walk or the swim or whatever I was doing, I felt like my body was soft and restored and stronger and better off rather than absolutely thrashing it. And I feel like I really intuitively connected with what I felt like my body needed rather than doing, like you said, what someone said I should do for my body at that point. Yeah. So exercise is this incredible opportunity to tune into our internal authority. And that is where I see it as an absolute 
gold nugget or golden gem of not just birth preparation, but both postpartum preparation too. Because exercise can be this incredible experience where we get to connect with our body, understand it, listen to it and respect it. So anytime I teach an exercise class or record a program, whether I'm teaching something live or it's recorded, my whole message and the whole philosophy of Core and Floor Restore is do you, right? And so I see exercise as this incredible cool to to reconnect with yourself you know i saw this um quote the other day from someone and i just uh, want to apologize because i can't remember who it was from but it was around pelvic floor care with somebody talking about pelvic floor health and what they said is we know more about our most of us know more about our mobile phones than how our bodies work and most of us, you know, I would go ahead and say most of us are more connected to our mobile phones and probably spend more time with it than we do spending time with our bodies. And I quite often when I'm working with someone or during a class, I'll say, how connected do you feel to your body? Right. And you and I on this podcast, we talk over and over again about internal authority. What is a full body? Yes, for you. What is a maybe and because that is a no and what is a no and being able to tap into that during birth and you know exercise can put us at a state where we're maybe you know a little bit more vulnerable because we're working hard and we're and we're tuning in and we're in the zone and so then it, it gives us that ability to go okay I mean, I'm in a, you know, more compromised state, maybe let's tune in and see what feels right for me now. But we're so tribal, we're so conditioned to just behave and do what everybody else is doing. And so I really created exercises. No, this is a time to tune in and, you know, not tame, but release your badass wise woman. This is a time to go, does this feel good for me? Is this right? Yes, great, keep going. No, okay, what else can I do? How we turn up to movement really depends on how much sleep we're getting, the relationships in our life, as in the relationship with ourselves that day. My relationship with myself that day is, you know, I'm being a nasty person to myself and telling myself I can't do things, then I'm not going to be exercising at a heightened level compared to if my relationship with myself was feeling good. My relationships in my life with my, you know, children or my partner, what work is like, what paid work is like, what unpaid work is like, all of that affects how we connect with and then move our body. And so exercise is this incredible opportunity to go, what's here for me today? And what do I need? And so oh, mm. I was gonna say, I think that's a really important lesson as well for labor, because labor we really do have to if, well, I guess yeah. if you're not in the habit in your life of tapping into your body, then exercise is a daily opportunity or movement is a daily opportunity to check in and go, how's my pelvis feeling? Do I need to walk today? Do I need to swim today? Do I need to just do some restorative yoga today? And then I guess it's the same when you get into labor, you're like, what feels good here? I don't really like being on the bed. I feel better sitting up. So I'm going to do that. So just, it almost seems like mentally training to tap into your body. You have that opportunity to do that every time you move in pregnancy, you have an opportunity to ask yourself, where's my body at? What does it need? And that's the exact same story, that same question you can ask your body when you're in labor, where's my body at? What does it need? And postpartum. And that is what I saw missing from so much of the mindset stuff around birth. It was 
you know, the mindset stuff is like, trust my body, my body can do this. It was all that powerful, beautiful stuff, which is still important. But what I see often missing is that connection with the body. And we do, we tell people to trust their bodies. But if you haven't trusted your body, if you don't talk with your body, if you don't allow your body space to speak and be heard, and then you don't respect the messages that it's trying to tell you. But what I think Mel and I are all about, and really if you're listening to this podcast, what you are coming either coming towards or you're already there is that you want to tap into that internal authority. You want to make the choices that are right for you and you want to have body autonomy. Tune into what feels good. And some people are like, no, no, B, just tell me what I need to do. And so I just want to say, if that's what you need, you're not going to like my program because my program is not what feels good for you today right so that you're training yourself for labor and birth for sure but also I'm seeing the whole bigger picture here which is postpartum healing and motherhood because our biggest power as a human being is our connection to ourself and exercise is a beautiful opportunity to practice that because often we've been conditioned to not connect with ourselves, to not listen to our own needs, to adapt ourselves to our environment and meet the needs of others. You know, that's being a good girl and a good boy is meeting everybody else's needs, not our own. And so exercise is this, I mean, you know, there are there's research papers out there that say that it's shortened labor and that it shortens the first stage of labor and the second stage of labor. But I do want to say here, I actually did one of my master's master's subjects on this topic because I was really passionate about it. And I was really disappointed by what I found. Exercise is a really tricky thing to study. A, because there are so many different types of exercise. B, there are so many different ways it's run, like 30 minutes or one hour. Researchers really struggled with it. And, you know, those that complete exercise will have different mindsets than those that don't. It's such a, there's so many, there's multi, multi-factorial. There's a lot of compounding factors. Is that what I want to say? Yeah. Is that the word? And so it's really tricky. And a lot of different papers look at different things. So Cochrane, you know, basically says it's safe, but we don't know what the benefits, if there are any, to the mum and baby in terms of obstetric outcomes are. There's not enough strong evidence for that. And I think there are a lot of myths out there on what we can and can't do. Really, the take-home message is exercise is your best friend and it can be an incredible way to tune into your body, to build trust with it, to build confidence in it, to prepare for labor, birth and motherhood and also for postpartum healing because postpartum healing can be challenging if we have symptoms. They're about how we move through the day. So we don't use our bodies the way that we have been biologically designed to use them. And that is because we have created all these things that we think are, you know, more comfortable, suit us and and make us have a much more comfortable lifestyle. They're actually wreaking absolute havoc on our bodies. So toilets, couches, cars, chairs and tables, we hold our body in positions that our body isn't meant to be held in. And exercise enables muscles to work at their best function. It enables a better range of movement. So range of movement means how far that muscle is moving from like you think about it contracting and being its smallest and then lengthening and stretching, right? So range of movement is 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 that measurement. Exercise enables that. Exercise enables 
bigger an, an ability to have more flexibility and more more strength inactivity sitting is what creates tension there's a real misconception around tension i think we think oh if we've got strong muscles then they're tight tight muscles are a sign of weakness or a sign of a muscle being out of balance and i think this is where we need a huge shift in the exercise world because it's very much programmed towards strength and tone is we actually need balance. We need to move away from strength and we need to come back into balance. So the whole thing around core and floor is we want, and you know the, the philosophy that I really built the programs on is that we want a muscle to contract when it's needed to, to relax when it's needed to, but to coordinate. The body knows how to work. The body knows how to move. Sometimes it's been taken off that path. And exercise is a beautiful way to guide it back onto that path. Exercise is an incredible way to bring the body back into alignment. So we talk about, you know, optimal fetal positioning and optimal maternal positioning. And we go and see people like osteos and chiros and physios. And so often people say, oh, I went to my osteo and they fixed me. They never, no one ever fixes you. Your body does the fixing. Your body has the answer. They guide you back onto the right track or they can guide you, right? They can be like, oh, here, this is where your body prefers to be. And then the body goes, "Uh uh-huh. But the real fixing comes with what we do in our body day to day, right? It comes with how we use our body throughout the day. And this is where I'm that, you know, I'm a huge fan of just chucking in three minutes of I'm a huge fan of chucking in three minutes of movement as you're cooking dinner or as you're getting dressed in the morning or as you're brushing your teeth. The real growth comes with how much you practice that language at home. And that is what we do with our bodies every day. And I think we need to remember too that women, pregnant women aren't sick. They don't have a condition that needs treating or managing. Like, so when we talk about exercise for pregnant women, you know, just move as if you weren't pregnant, but always check in with what feels okay. So it used to be, you know, that they, they people would give really pregnancy-specific exercises. But my understanding is that the new recommendations are like pregnant women aren't sick. They don't, you don't need to be kind of extra cautious, but the caution comes in to the woman herself where she sort of goes, that doesn't feel right, not doing that. Yeah, because uh, the reality is you are growing a human. Mm. and. So like your heart has to get out of the way for that human to grow. Like there is so much happening in your body that you are not consciously aware of. And there is a lot that you are consciously aware of that is happening. And so, yeah, this, I mean, yeah, there used to be really strict guidelines. We used to be really scared of it. And now, you know, don't lift heavy things. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't get your heart rate over a certain level. All of that's thrown out the window now. If it feels good for you, do it. I mean, this is... It's the same as any time in your life, but I do want to say lots of love and respect to our bodies when we're growing humans, because I think as women, you know, and really feminism kind of brought about this grit that we have to do, have. like, I can do that while I'm bleeding. I can do that while I'm pregnant. I can do that while I'm postpartum. You know, we have these messages around grit and grit doesn't allow us to tune into our body and, and often rest. The, like, and rest. Grit yeah. And often are you resting? Yeah, and often the message is like if you're thinking I should be doing something, so be really conscious of the should word because should is 
deeply connected to our belief systems on what we tell ourselves is acceptable and not acceptable as opposed to tuning into what feels good and what doesn't and this is so this is again it's birth prep and it's motherhood prep and that's why I love exercise in pregnancy because it's this incredible opportunity to build more skills and capacity mentally and physically and I have two more questions one firstly what would you suggest to women? There are lots of women who have sedentary jobs, particularly women who are having their first babies and they're still working full time. And this is what I see with clients of mine, you know, they have office jobs and they're sitting six to seven hours a day. What suggestions do you have for women who are in jobs like that, that they can incorporate movement in their day to kind of prevent some of the impacts of sitting for so long? I think it's everything that you talked about before, Mel, right? Like it's taking the stairs. Again, it's working with what you've got. And I think here too, a lot of what happens, especially when we have sedentary lifestyles, is we lose the feeling of how good exercise feels. Mm. And so there isn't the motivation to do it because the more you sit, the more you want to sit. The more you move, the more you want to move because it feels good. And so it's really that motivation of getting into it. So any little things you can do to have that movement in your day that that is that constant reminder of this feels good, I feel better for having it. I used to have a thing when I was studying and sitting a lot that I would, I'd set a timer every 50 minutes. And so I would work for 50 minutes, I'd move for 10 minutes. I didn't lose those 10 minutes. I was much more productive in the 50 minutes for doing the 10 minutes. So little exercises or stretches that feel good. And, you know, I know you talked about walking and if anyone listens to myself, they'll often hear me say that I'm not a fan of walking because walking is a daily function less than an exercise. And I think it's a really lazy option we give people, right? We say, just go for a walk. Really in pregnancy and postpartum, if you can, doing 10 minutes of really focusing in on your body and that core and pelvic floor and working the muscles that are really needed to support your pregnancy and postpartum healing, I would much more, you know, recommend doing that. And obviously I'm biased and I have a program that, you know, is there for sale. So, you know, that influences it too, obviously. If walking... It was so nice. Like for me, it was like it's like quiet time. I could think. I could check in with my baby. It was like yeah. oh, I don't. Know, it was a dream. Every time I went for a walk, I was like, I felt so good just doing. Yeah, it. and I loved it too. And I, I think my biggest thing around walking is that often it's sold as a postpartum exercise, and I don't love it for postpartum because it is full body. It is standing upright, and often postpartum we're doing it either baby wearing pushing a pram or pushing a pram walking the dog and carrying the toddler and its bike you know and so that it's a lot on the body also if there are issues like pelvic girdle pain or the body's out of alignment we often keep conditioning the body in that Mm. uh, that with those issues there like that unalignment is unalignment a word i it makes like it is not in alignment well, no, but I like making up words that make sense. So unalignment, yeah. everyone knows what that means. So I think yeah. we should use it. It's probably grammatically let's, correct, but let's let's use, let's it. use it. So you're conditioning your body in that unaligned in mal- position. It's malalignment. Is it malalignment? I don't know. I don't know. Out of alignment. And, um, and, you know, there's this whole thing around 
in that third trimester, it should be about strength, stretch and length and really loosening the body. Well, we don't want more of one thing and less of another. We want balance. We want the body to have the strength to contract because the pelvic floor does contract in labor. And then we want it to lengthen when it needs to, which it does during birth. So we want muscles that are functioning well, that are in balance, working with the rest of the body, which is why like I can't stand Kegels, like squeezing a muscle in isolation makes absolute no sense to me. Exercising the body as a whole and allowing the body to work how it's meant to that's the key. And if the body isn't, that's where we get the extra support. So, you know, Kegels are great if you don't know how to connect to the pelvic floor and it's not connecting in a balanced way and it's not connecting when it needs to. Bringing that in, retraining it, and then moving on with exercise is where we need to go. Mm. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I'm just still thinking about those women at desks and I have some tips. (laughs) I want to hear your tips. Is that all right? Because I'm like... Yes, so often. So things, yeah, like I said before, parking far away, wearing comfortable shoes. Don't yes. wear the same shoes that you were wearing before you were pregnant. Often oh. women Can I say a lot about shoes here? Sorry, this hey. is this is actually so they I shared a reel on Instagram the other day around this. There is beautiful research coming out now around our feet mm-hmm. and their connection to the pelvic floor. And this is what I mean. It's it's not just the pelvic floor, it's yeah. not just one muscle group in isolation. We're seeing now that our breathing affects our pelvic floor, which is the first step in core and floor, is reconnecting with your diaphragm and getting you to breathe however biologically designed to breathe that's the first step in my program and it's an incredible tool for labor and birth i talk about that in the free antenatal classes but you know it's head to toe it's mind as well it's your emotions as well that you know that the body responds to how we're feeling and so it will hold tension if we're emotionally holding tension but the feet are super important, right? You look look down at your feet now. They go straight into your pelvic floor. And so I'm a huge barefoot fan. Yes. And there is incredible research now around barefoot shoes and, and their positive benefits on the body, but also now bringing in the pelvic floor and showing how different feet um, movements and activations affect pelvic floor and, and the pressure that is Foot and how the pelvic floor is used. Well, so we, barefoot. we're a family of barefoot walkers, not completely barefoot. We have there's shoes, there's barefoot shoes that you can buy. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about barefoot shoes. Barefoot shoes. And the difference between a barefoot shoe and just kind of regular off-the-shelf shoe is that the barefoot shoes really allow your toes to spread evenly. So we have, there's, I don't have any affiliation with this brand, but if you're listening, please send shoes. The Vibram Five Finger Toe Shoes. And you literally have to slip each toe into like a little toe section in the shoe and it forces your toes to spread because traditionally shoes force your toes into this like crunched up position, but they should be nice and spread. And that's why my first tip, because often for people in office jobs, they wear sensible office shoes, which are horrendous for our bodies, you know, high heels and all these really fixed, thin, narrow shoes. So if you're pregnant and you're working in a sedentary job and you have to go in there, the first thing I would suggest is to wear shoes that allow your feet to be comfortable. And then things like, well, because- oh, hang on. Can I keep going on about yeah, the shoes for a second? Go on, yes. 
I mean, I could do a whole podcast just ranting about high heels, really think about why high heels were brought in in the first place. They alter our whole body's position, right? They really wreak havoc on the whole pelvis and our lower back and our core. They reposition our body and they put it into a Barbie position that we're not meant to actually be in. The other thing is we weren't born wearing shoes. Now, I know we weren't born wearing clothes either, right? And I look at shoes on babies and it breaks my heart. Like they're not even walking yet. It is huge. And there are some incredible functional podiatrists that are out there that are doing amazing work in this space. And I just want to say here, if you have come from that, switching to barefoot is a progression that needs support. And that is where you will need allied health professionals to help you because what you're actually doing is bringing your body into into a more correct alignment, but your body won't be used to being in that. And that can be a lot of people, you know, experience discomfort. And this is the other thing exercise does, right? When anyone kind of shifts into something that holds their body really differently or gets them to use their body in a different way, like using barefoot shoes or exercise. People will be like, yeah, I tried that and it hurt. What is often happening here is those issues are there, but now the new behavior, either the new shoes or the new exercise, what it's doing is it's highlighting the issues. And so people then blame the new behavior, like the exercise or the shoes and say, oh, it's their fault that it was happening. And I was fine without it. And I was much better off sitting on the couch eating crisp chips rather than exercising. What's often happening here is the body's going, oh, thank goodness, you're finally moving me. This is what's going on. Thanks for listening. Here's my problems. And then we go, nah, not dealing with it. (laughs) And we shut it down and we stop moving. So you know, pain is never normal and we always want to get support with it. And this is a beautiful, you know, offering if your body's doing that to say, hey, let's check in with a physio or an osteo or a chiro or a podiatrist and get some more support. But barefoot shoes, especially for kids, all of us wear barefoot. And I, what I want to say too around that is there's actually a lot of really beautiful shoes out there now. You don't have to have the toe spaces. No offense, no. Mel. No, um, no. And, and they're actually really hardcore yeah. and not every, you know, I'm not going to go straight there. That's for no. you got to build up to that, but there are beautiful shoes out there, beautiful brands. So I do affiliate with an amazing company called um, Soul Mechanics and I have a 15% off discount code that's in the code and affiliations page on my website and they will do a half an hour video call fitting with you because they want you to get the right shoes so that you don't have to send them back and they do kids and adult shoes and they have lots of different brands and there's heaps of other brands out there like I wear Belanca sandals and they don't sell them but there are a lot of brands doing it lots of European brands so it can be tricky because often they're the different seasons to us when we want shoes um just say too like Financially, they do cost a lot more money to buy a barefoot shoe, but like we literally will have one or two pairs of shoes each person for a season for, you know, winter, summer, because I'll spend hundreds of dollars on a great shoe because I do think that if, if you're exercising and moving in really bad footwear, you could do a lot more damage. Like when we started oh, wearing, totally. yeah, when we started wearing barefoot shoes about 20 years ago, we started by walking with them only on the grass. So we would do really soft surfaces to start with. Then we yeah. would move periodically to the cement and we'd walk along the pavement in the barefoot shoes until it felt really good. 
so much so that we, you know, we got to the point where we were running on hard pavement in barefoot shoes very, very comfortably. Um, we often don't actually wear shoes at all. But yeah, my children only have one or two pairs of shoes and so do I. Um, I have a summer pair and a winter pair and that's it. Yeah. And I try and buy them that. Because they're that much more yes. expensive though, not compared to well, like a decent pair of heels or something. Like, well, not for adults. 150 bucks. Not for adults for though, but for kids, like I would spend $100 on one pair of shoes for my kids. Yeah, for children. Oh, see, I don't know any different because I've only ever brought no, them that. But that's what I'm and saying. For people my two-year-old wear... still doesn't wear shoes. Like he's hardly ever worn Yeah. But shoes. for people who are used to buying sort of Kmart and take Target shoes for yeah. seven, it's going to be a big shock to think, oh my gosh, what hundred bucks? But yeah, my kids have one pair of winter shoes, a pair of gumboots, yeah. and a pair of barefoot summer shoes. So like, yeah. so yeah, that was my first point. And they last. They really. Oh yeah, last. They, and they go through like both of my kids have been able to wear the same pair of shoes, you know, as they grow into. Them. Yes, and that was my first point about about in, you know for change. A really today. good point. Just, yeah, because, you know, we just think, oh, I'm just going to wear the same shoes. No, I think you should change your shoes if you're going to start moving. And my next suggestion for people who have works that they can't move a lot in is consider things like having a desk that you could stand up at and actually standing up for a little bit of your day. I can't believe I did not suggest that. I used to have a treadmill desk. So my second pregnancy, I did my whole master's on a treadmill and it would I'd only walk at like maybe one kilometer an hour or two no it was a bit faster than that actually but I set up a treadmill desk at home and that was a lifesaver it was a lifesaver for pregnancy and just COVID and because when I started working core and floor for like for my company I moved less than I did working in the hospital and so I would answer messages and stuff on a treadmill and now you've got like voice things you can do that like all the voice to message services on phones yeah but yeah I yeah, can't believe I forgot that but that's yeah great tip. Short, even short periods and not just standing up but you could actually wiggle your hips while you're standing and typing or if you're on the phone don't sit at your desk like like you said you can get up and even just w- do a little like a little spin in your office on a you know a, a soft exercise ball and um, I do want to say here supported squat so yeah. this may be tricky if you're in a communal workplace, but like I, Mel does this podcast with me every week and there is a couch behind me and I'm always on the floor. Like I sit in a supported squat most of the time or I move my body around in different positions. So I just use a bolster and you can just use pillows, especially if you work from home, but holding your body, because sitting is horrendous for the hips yeah. and pelvic floor. It holds them in a contracted tightest space like that and that's that inactivity mm. that creates the tension so yeah using a fit ball and, and moving your hips and this is where you can tap into your internal authority be a badass wise woman and ask for change yeah. I know I'm not willing to sit on that chair anymore it doesn't feel good for me pregnancy is a great motivator for other people to accept your change like we were talking about pregnancy yeah. is a great motivator to change yeah. it's also where people are not willing to really fight you like if you're like I need this chair for my pregnancy people are like okay well I've written like I actually go out of my way to write letters for my clients to take to their workplace to say I recommend and there's some women who their workplace is telling them they have to come into the office to work and I'm like in this day and age if you have a desk job you could do that from home like your workplace could do that and if you're at home, you could stand at the kitchen bench. You could lie side lying on a couch. You could sit on a ball. You could stand. You can 
move for 10 minutes every hour. You could go for a swim after your lunch. You could do all these things that you cannot do and you can't move around at an office. And so I've often use your commuting time to exercise, right? All this thing, all these benefits from working from home, if you have a sitting job. So that's somewhere you can incorporate things. If you're, if you still have to go to work every day and you have a job that's sedentary, be my next question, because we've only got a little bit of time is for women who are already exercising. So say that there are women who are already motivated, already doing a stack of exercise. Can they just keep going? with what they were doing before? What I really want to say here, I mean, it applies to everything we've already said. If it feels good, great, do it. If it doesn't, don't. That's the biggest rule. And if your body's giving you symptoms and pain, that's an extra opportunity to check in and see what's going on and maybe incorporate some allied health. But my biggest thing here is really understanding how your intra-abdominal pressure works. So we are a pressurized unit when one thing in our body contracts, it has a flow-on effect and other things contract and other things lengthen. So when we breathe, what's meant to happen is the diaphragm's meant to contract to suck in air into the body because we're pressurized, right? So it's all moving through pressure. So there's pressure in our environment, there's pressure in our body. The diaphragm's meant to contract, pull down the air, move down the air moves into the lungs, the lungs fill up, and that intrathoracic pressure increases as well. What that causes is a shift in the intra-abdominal. So intrathoracic is what's going on around the lungs and the rib cage, and intra-abdominal is from the diaphragm to the pelvic floor, right? And what what I see most people do in pregnancy is not correctly activate and relax that area. Right. And this is where that balance is important. And this is what I see so often with Kegels. People are really good at contracting, but they don't know how to lengthen and release. And again, it's about being able to embrace the softness. And most of us don't like the softness. Valuing the softness, especially in pregnancy, is super important, but also understanding how your body works. So this is what I teach in the programs. And what I teach in Core and Floor is so that you can apply it to anything that you love. And that's what I love. People will be like, oh, I took the techniques and I applied it to yoga and now yoga feels better or now my Pilates feels better or I'm doing so much better at CrossFit or whatever you're doing. It's about giving you that foundational knowledge and strength because so often we skip a few beats and we do things without the strength that we're meant to. So big tips here is we should be able to continuously breathe through exercise and breathing is actually much more important than anything else, right? So we don't want to hold our breath because that really shifts the pressure in these units. We want to be able to breathe and allow our body to actually move how it's needed to. We've also been taught really incorrect activation of our core and the pelvic floor is very rarely brought into conversation. So very basically what should happen in the body is as we inhale, the diaphragm contracts and then we have everything move outwards, right? So the the belly expands and then really that breath and movement should continue down to our lower back around our kidneys, which is the area between our rib cage and our pelvis and then the pelvic bowl. Most people don't have that. Most people have constriction throughout the thoracic. And often what we see happening in the diaphragm is what we see mirrored in the pelvic floor. And pregnancy really constricts the diaphragm, especially if a baby's on one side, there may not be as much movement through this side. And lots of us don't breathe into our back. I remember going to yoga for years and they'd be like, breathe into your back. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? 
what they're talking about is when we actually inhale, the ribcage should move in a 360-degree movement as the lungs fill symmetrically. Often that doesn't happen. People will just breathe into their bellies and the front of their ribcage, and so there's no movement out towards the side and the back. And if you've got a newborn baby or a child, you can actually feel this on them. That is the whole torso working functionally, and that is what we really want in pregnancy We want that happening in birth because we want that whole torso talking to itself properly in birth so that it can physiologically function the way it needs to. And then in postpartum to recover and heal if there is healing that needs to be done, which I'm going to say 100% of people who have been pregnant need to heal. And so often what happens is birth gets the blame for the issues we experience in postpartum. But I would say that most people enter their first pregnancy with core and pelvic floor dysfunction that they're probably not aware of yet and tension and unalignment misalignment non-alignment whatever we're going with incorrect alignment throughout the body so you know if you're experiencing things like incontinence or pelvic girdle pain or back pain in pregnancy, that is signs that your body is not in correct alignment and is not functioning as optimally as it could and it's your body's way of saying hey we need some help and attention to come back into balance Mm -hmm. and the body wants to come back into balance it wants to heal so it's not about you know if you see a generalized list of what you can and can't do in pregnancy there's no such thing there's you know there's no such thing as this is safe and this is unsafe what there is is this is good for you today or this is not good for you today and again that comes into really tuning in and and knowing what your body needs and wants, you know, what is safe for somebody will be very different to what is not safe. You know, what is safe for somebody will not be safe for somebody else. And what is safe for you on one day may not actually be safe for you on another day because it doesn't feel right. Yes. Amazing. You were going to ask, um, oh, you were going to ask about midwives too. Um, oh, I, I do want to say, yeah, go. Well, I just want to say for midwives because I think so often we get, seven minutes with somebody and we've got 15 hours of things to tell them. This is where referral is great. So, you know, shoot them off to, that's the best part about being a midwife is it's not the best part, but one of our skills is that we can refer. So if things feel out of your scope, refer. But what I do want to say to midwives is we really need to stop giving the advice around Kegels. Pelvic floor health is not about Kegels anymore. It's about holistic movement and exercise the body needs the whole body needs to move and yeah it's not just about squeezing your pelvic floor at traffic lights most midwives are absolutely not qualified we don't get properly taught about we don't for 10 years i did the wrong thing i'd check for a diastasis recti underneath the rib cage and tell people they'll fine on day two like we We don't don't get taught this at uni it's It's not our our realm it's i think we need to be properly referring women to physiotherapists to osteopaths and to chiropractors and and there are a lot of osteopaths now do internal stuff so there there are a lot of pelvic floor osteopaths it's not just physios that do this work now and some chiros may be doing it too but I do know that a lot of osteos are doing it yeah but I think the take-home messages for midwives are that if a woman asks about exercise that they can tell women all women to move in some way as a very basic start do it in comfortable footwear Little things like even I've had clients who are frightened of moving and don't know what their body's going to do. And I just say to them, go to the pool and walk laps 
Mm. Relax in the water. It's low impact. You're not going to drown. You're not going to hurt anything. You can you can just move in a pool and you can do that if you've got small children. You can take them to the pool. You can drag them along with you if you like, like the, the weightlessness of it, but you're still moving. So at a very basic level, midwives, I think, could tell women that movement is okay to do. It's, your be- it's not just okay. It is your best friend yes. for mental and physical birth prep and postnatal recovery. And that's, you know, it, regardless of how you want to birth, exercise is essential because you want to move into birth. um, And this is if you're planning to have an elective cesarean, you want to move into birth in your best physical and emotional state and exercise. We know that the the benefits of exercise, that's what they are so that you can be in your best emotional and physical state. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's exercise in pregnancy, guys. B is not really sure she's given you everything, but I think. Oh, I feel messy today. Can I just, can we just put that in there? This hasn't been my best work and it's my favorite topic, but I am, I don't know, I'm exhausted. It's been a big couple of weeks. So apologies team. I feel like I haven't, I haven't given you what I normally give you. I've done a lot of podcasts on this and they're out there. They're on my page if you want to know more. And obviously you can always get in touch and you can, my programs are much more enthusiastic (laughs) than this and give you a lot more information. (laughs) I mean, I did kind of yesterday literally say to you, B, I've been at three births in the last 24 hours and I am not ready to deliver on the podcast. Can you pick a topic that you just can do and do it? And I just literally threw you in it. So we, there's yeah. no judgment B. I think we've all learned <laughs> we'll have gotten something. Everyone I don't I don't feel like I gave one. I didn't give it the core and pelvic floor focus I normally do. I just really want people to move more than anything. Just move. Look at your stories around movement. Look at what you're willing call in the support, ask your partner to do it with you, ask a friend to do it with you. Just get your get your body moving. Like I didn't even bring in a song today. I'm exhausted, team. I'm exhausted. I need some movement to um pick me up, I think. I should have done some, I should have, I could have done some exercise before this and had some endorphins, but I didn't. You got my authentic self. You're welcome. You're welcome. We want to keep bringing you the info, guys. And this is this week, this is how we're doing it. And that's okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Great Birth Rebellion, and we'll see you again in the next episode. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! Um, (laughs) All right.